catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by 2006 Duke alum Dave Olverson. Dave recently moved from New York City back to Durham and instantly fell in love with the food, the entertainment, and the community. He encourages all Duke alumni to look at Durham as a place to live. You will love it. Welcome to episode 93 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Today, Monday, November 12th, 2017. I am your host this week, Sam Klein. Duke is off to a 2-0 start in the 2017-2018 basketball season. We'll get to all of that, um, but first, let me introduce, as usual, my co-hosts for this show and for most of the other shows we've done. In Washington, D.C., we have Donald Wine. Donald, how you doing? I'm doing good. We're two and zero. Uh, what a good start to the basketball year! And and unlike and unlike the rest of us, you actually have a college football team that you're really proud of this week. The turnover chains are back in the building. That's <laughs> right. Um, and in Atlanta, Jason Evans. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite nicely. I'm really really happy with the way the season started. I'm trying really really hard not to be too optimistic, but it's difficult. All right, great. Well, then I will, I will pour cold water on, on what you're about to say. Uh, not, not anything specific, but I, I will do my best because I know that, um, I know that sometimes we need that. And uh, you would, in particular, I think, have an optimistic bent that sometimes we need to, we need to hammer out of you. So let's, let's talk about the games. Um, we'll start with, so Duke played two games this weekend, uh, Friday night. Both games were in, uh, in Cameron Indoor. Uh, in the friendly confines, if you will. Uh, Friday night, Duke beat Elon by the score of 97-68. to 68. On Saturday night, Duke beat Utah Valley in a game that uh, remained competitive for a little bit longer, but they ultimately pulled away for a similar margin. It was 99-69. to 69. So, Jason, I'll let you start. Um, tell me about your impressions of the Elon game first, and then if you want to sprinkle in some about Utah Valley. I think that... Um, there's a lot you can say about one that you could say about the other, but but they were different in certain ways. Um, so why don't you get us started with the Elon game? So here's how I'm going to get started. I'm, I'm going to go back and tell folks a story. The year was 2002, 2002, and a Duke freshman by the name of Shavlik Randolph, who I'm sure many of you, most of you should remember Shav. Shavlik Randolph scored 23 points in his freshman game. Um, in his very first game of his freshman season uh, against Army. Um, he then followed that up. We played Davidson just a couple of days later. He had 17 points and 12 rebounds. This guy was averaging 20 points a game, um, pretty much averaging a double-double after two games of his freshman career. And I quite famously posted on the Duke Basketball Report bulletin board that we should just go ahead at that moment, we should go ahead right now and retire Shavlik Randolph's jersey because this guy was going to be so good. He was going to stay for four years because back then guys didn't leave early. And he was going to be one of the all-time great Blue Devils. And after two games, I said, retire his jersey. I might have been a tad premature 
on my Shavlik Randolph assessment. Um, uh, he, he ended up scoring 20 points, more than 20 points, only one more time in his entire Duke career. And, uh, you know, he, he never came close to Jersey retirement. In fact, he wasn't even a regular starter throughout most of his career. So with that story in mind, I try not to get too crazy about freshmen, especially after just a couple games. I try to, and, and guys, I'm going to play you the song that I think of whenever a, you know, a, a, a Duke freshman really has a great first game. You ready? Here, here's the song. Don't believe the high. Don't, 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 don't believe the high. <laughs> yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I go back to public enemy and I say, don't believe the hype. And, and I, I say that to myself, and I really try. I really try hard. I'm believing the hype on Marvin Bagley. I mean, I am. The, uh, this guy was absolutely incredible uh, in both these games. Uh, against Ilan, the thing that stuck out to me was his ability to rebound and then bring the ball up the floor with tremendous ease. His touch in the paint uh, is, is absurd. This guy has as soft a touch as controlled um, uh, uh, body movements in the paint when he's scoring as uh, as anyone I've seen. I asked some friends and we tried to think back and see who we, I, I think we came up with Elton Brand. I think we have to go back to Elton Brand to find someone who feels this skilled around the basket. Oh, he is, he is really incredible. And by the way, I, you know, I mentioned Shavlik Randolph. Shav had the record by scoring 23 points in uh, his first game in a Duke uniform, the freshman record, 23 points. And of course, Marvin Bagley went out and broke that record against Elon. He, he scored 25. Um, and I, Bagley, he almost had a double-double at the half against Elon. Uh, he, was, he was just, ugh, it's hard not to gush <laughs> at how fabulous he was. And, and the half, the half ended incredibly with Trevon Duval throwing a behind-the-back pass to Bagley that he, that he slammed through with such authority. Um, it's the kind of playground almost play that you don't often see at Duke, but, but it's worth noting that throwing the behind-the-back pass was the only way for Duvall to get the ball to Bagley in just the way he did. There wasn't another option. Um, uh, so the game against Elon, we, we came out really hot. Grayson Allen, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago. I asked you guys the question if Grayson seemed like he was trying in the exhibition games, and we all agreed he wasn't. I think the first few minutes against Elon, Grayson decided to show us what happens when he tries. Um, he basically uh, he ended the game in the first three to five minutes of the game. He could score at will. He could do whatever he wanted on the floor. And and Sam, as you noted, that was especially important for him against Elon because this was the team um, with Steven Santa Anna, the guy that uh, Grayson tripped last year that um, to some extent derailed his entire season and changed the entire Grayson Allen narrative. And here he was playing them again and seemed in complete, absolute control um, Duke was fabulous in this game. As we said, when we were previewing Elon a few days ago, they're not a bad team. This is one of the better teams in their conference. They will be contending for an NCAA bid. They're probably going to win close to 20 games on the season. This is a team that's, you know, right around the top 100 and Duke manhandled them. Uh, you know, our big men, we, we controlled the boards. It, it was a really, really impressive win. Uh, and, and, I think it began to whet people's appetite for the unbelievable, impressive potential that this team has. And and I'm about to, I'll kick it over to Donald for a little bit more, but the other guy that I wanted to mention, well, the two other guys I wanted to mention really quickly. One was Gary Trent Jr. had 17 points in this game. 
I swear I didn't notice him. This guy is going to score bunches of points. He's going to get double digits, mid-teens every game, and you're not going to notice him that much, which is sort of great. That's how efficient he is. And then I wanted to mention, I thought Alex O'Connell had a really, really nice game in terms of bringing energy to the floor. Um, It looked like he was everywhere when he was on the floor. Uh, It was the kind of energy we saw from him in the first exhibition game and in the blue-white game. And, uh, And I think it's why... You may see, you know, I, I think I had a, a prediction of around 140 or so minutes on the season for Alex O'Connell. I think I'm going to be way under. I think he's going to, I think Alex O'Connell has played his way into the Duke rotation. Don, let me, let me throw it over to you. What were your impressions from uh, the Elon Phoenix game? So I, I wanted to start off with, I, you know, we talk a little bit about the, you know, how many minutes people got uh, from that game. It's important to note that uh, Marquise Bolden missed that game due to strep throat. He did appear against Utah Valley, uh, appeared to be a little slow because, uh, you know, probably because he had been uh, sick for the last few days. But it's important to note that he was he was not there. And I think when you're talking about Alex O'Connell, he did a lot to make the most of his minutes. You know, he, he was very involved in the offense. He was always ready to shoot. He made great decisions with the basketball. He had high energy, like you said. And, and I think that's why – you know, he saw a lot of him uh, against Utah Valley. But let me go back to Grayson Allen for a minute. Grayson Allen, in my opinion, you know, we were trying to, I was trying to figure out what his game is like so far through the season, through all the way up to this point, uh, you know, where you're obviously two games in. But he's playing like a guy who knows he has to lead in terms of scoring and playing well, but he doesn't have any pressure in actually doing it. What do I mean by that? I mean that he looks relaxed on the court, but he's still totally dominating stretches of the game. When you look at our lineup, you have, you know, there are very few, comp- I mean, we have really four legit scoring options on the floor most of the game. You have Marvin Bagley, who is incredibly smooth. He had two ridiculous games uh, to start his career at Duke. Wendell Carter is doing really, you know, very, a lot of great things inside, both offensively and defensively. Gary Trent, like you said, doing a ton on the outside and looks great. Trevon Duvall is, is leading the offense. He's probably the, the slowest of the, of the starting five to get into the flow of things, but still Allen is leading this team. He's shooting well over 50% from the, on the year so far. A lot of those shots are deep. It's not like he's just doing dunks. He's doing a lot from the outside. That's what we're going to need from Grayson Allen this year. And, and him being more relaxed, I think, makes him play a lot better. He's having fun out there. And him being off to this great start as a leader is why we dominated both of these games. And finally, there's two more things I want to note about Elon before we really dive into Utah Valley. I thought Javon Delorier was fantastic. Um, he had six points. He had 11 rebounds. He was active around the glass. He was energetic on defense. He gave us momentum, you know, highlights with, you know, a couple of dunks, including one where he, uh, off the steal, where he went the length of the court and really outran three guys to the basket uh, to dunk at home. I think he did fantastic against Elon, and I think that – Energy, that glue that, you know, we've been talking about describing him uh, so far in the preseason and now early in the season, that was what he did on Friday night, and I think that's what we're going to need from him. Finally, if you're going to have a black eye on this game, it's from the free throw line. We were 3 for 11. Um, that is completely unacceptable for a Duke team. I don't know what the, the issues were. Um, it seemed like it was, it was corrected a little bit um, uh, in Utah Valley, but – if these guys are going to be playing inside, they're going to get fouled. They're going to go to the line. They're going to have to make those free throws. We can't leave points at the table against good teams um, because they'll expose us for that. And we don't want to have these things go down to 
you know, a couple of game, a couple of points that we left on the line. So three from eleven is probably the only sore spot of this game. But overall, a very very good game for Blue Devils. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is that um, I'm I'm thrilled not just from the Elon game, but from the Utah Valley game as well. The way that Trayvon Duvall seems to have stepped right into the point guard role um, with this team, he seems really comfortable passing, uh, bringing the ball up, and uh, and he and the rest of the freshmen, at least the at least the starters, uh, all seem fairly confident on and competent, confident and competent on defense, um, which I know was something that we talked about. You know, this team had a lot of potential for, but that we weren't sure how well it would manifest, especially early in the season. Uh, as they're still kind of getting used to each other, but I think that um, the you know the, the, they're doing a lot more switching, I think, than we've probably seen in years past, which hopefully um, takes more advantage of their athleticism and relies less on them having to um, having to think you know about a, a complicated defensive scheme. So all that looks good. Donald, did you hey, want to? Hey, w- actually, wait, hey, hey, Sam, really quick, can I? I, yeah. I want to jump in and ask two things. First of all, I love that you brought up Duval. That um, the guy has 20 assists in one turnover. I think a 20 to one assist to turnover ratio is adequate for my point guard. Uh, you know, I'll take that. <laughs> I mean, I would say it's good enough. It would only, it would only beat the, and I'm doing this off the top of my head. If you guys remember better or can look up better, I think it would only beat the Duke record by about four times. So, oh yeah. yeah. I, if you get a point guard, who's better than four to one, you're thrilled. It was, I mean, uh, yeah. The cook that set the cook. Didn't Quinn cook set the assist to turnover ratio. Um, yeah, he was around. Just, I, I'm not sure if he set the record, but he was around five to one that one year. And, it, it, and was, that it was it was him yeah. and 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 John Shire from back in 2010 um, that I think have had the best assist to turnover but, ratios. But but the other thing I wanted to mention was and uh, and I hate to bring this up before we get into the full Utah Valley game. Maybe I should wait. But um, you talked about defense. Um, uh, Duke played a ton of zone in in both these games. Yeah. And, uh, I, I thought we looked really good playing zone. Our big men are so active and agile um, that that we can really play an effective, and we're so long, all of our guys, that we can really play effective zone defense and um, and, and you know not let teams just bomb away over us. But I, yeah. I, I jumped in. Let, let's get to Utah Valley. Well, I, I, I would say on top of that 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 there's definitely something to be said for zone being. Um, Maybe maybe the fundamentals of it being easier to teach than than really good man to man defense, especially the the pressure passing lane style that that Coach K prefers to play. Um, that does require a little bit more of like players being aware of each other and and things going on behind them that they can't necessarily see. So maybe that's a that's a strategy for him to you know give the defense different wrinkles without making them too complicated. <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about Utah Valley. Like I said before, in the top, that game um, was a little bit more competitive early. Utah Valley, I think the interesting note was that Utah Valley played in Lexington against Kentucky on Friday night. They were actually leading at halftime. Kentucky ended up pulling away, but but Utah Valley gave them a good scare. So um, I'll I'll let you open, Donald, the Utah Valley discussion with, did you... Did the did the outcome of the Kentucky game from Friday night make you feel uh, more confident that Duke was going to pace them, or like because they were going to be tired, uh, or less confident because hey, they just gave Kentucky a good run, and now they have even more confidence than they probably did going into that game? 
well, really, I think is neither. And, and the reason why I say that is because I expected this to be a slow, kind of sluggish game at the start with the fact that we had played 24 hours before and the fact that Utah Valley had done the same thing. You know, I, I wonder, you know, I was looking at the minutes played uh, on Saturday compared to Friday night, and I wonder, you know, each of the starters played 30-plus minutes. Uh, Javin Delore was the only other one who had more than 10 minutes. The bench wasn't that deep compared to uh, the night before. And I'm wondering if the minutes distribution was where Coach K wanted to get a look at how his starters react to having big minutes two nights in a row. Uh, this is something we're obviously going to see down the line in the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, you know, not back, not necessarily back-to-back in the NCAA, but in the ACC for sure. And I figured that they would get, you know, the starters played very well, and I thought they would get lesser minutes, especially when they pulled away in the second half, um, especially after having played a game 24 hours before. We have Michigan State coming up Tuesday night, uh, and we have to travel to Chicago for that. And I'm and I'm wondering what the the rationale was. Obviously, it it worked out, but it was interesting to see that those guys played so many heavy minutes um, after you know after a, a full game you know the night before. So having said that, they played extremely well. Um, and you know, it started out. I, I think the under twelve timeout in the first half. It was seventeen fifteen Utah Valley. It wasn't where we were like, oh no, what's going on here? It was you know Utah Valley came to play. And Duke was, was, it was basically back and forth for that first eight minutes of the game. After that, we went on a quick 9-0 run, and really that's what opened the floodgates, and we never looked back from there. Um, and and I, I really, uh, really concerned initially, I, I guess concerned is the wrong word. Um, Bagley, again, had a great game, but he's going to have to improve at the line. He went one for five against Utah Valley. He was one for four from line against Elon. So if if we're going to get the ball in his hands a lot, and we have been, you know, he's shooting well over 50% uh, from the floor. If teams know he's going to be a liability at the free throw line, he, they're going to just going to play hack of, hack of Bagley, you know, going to, into the season to get the ball out of his hands and out of the offense's hands. So I, I'm hoping that he w- will see these as an aberration um, two games where he just didn't have a good night at the, at the free throw line, and that he can improve at that to round out his game because the rest of his game is completely fantastic. He he can throw it down from down low. He's very smooth around the, around the perimeter. Um, you know he knows where to be on the court. He knows when to, when to pass, when to take a shot, when to really go in hard, when to finesse it. You know he had a couple of those hook jump uh, jump hooks that we talked about uh, during the summer, and, and I think. That will run out of the game. If he can, you know, improve at the line and make it so that he's a 70, 75% uh, free throw shooter, that means no one's going to mess with him ever. Because if you don't get dominated down low, you're just going to follow him and send him to the line where you're just going to give him three points. And he still had 24 points on the night. He could have had 30, you know, with finishing some of those free throws. So uh, that's where it really where I was at there. And I'll kick it to Jason for the rest. So I'll tell you the thing that impressed me about the Utah Valley game. Um, Do you guys know that the first 40 points in that game were all scored by our freshmen? We didn't have – Grayson Allen didn't didn't score very much early on. He was facilitating other guys, and the game just seemed to be coming to other players. So the first 40 points of that game were all scored by freshmen. That has to be some kind of record. That's like crazy. And I'll give you another crazy one. There were five minutes left in the game, five minutes and five seconds left when Marquise Bolden 
got a rebound and put the basket back up and scored a bucket. And that was the first time our bench scored in the game. We had 86 consecutive points by the starters. And then finally Bolden got a basket and, and, you know, in the final five minutes or so, it was all bench guys playing for the most part. But I was like, I mean, for those two really crazy things to happen for nothing but freshmen to score the first 40 points and then nothing but starters. The starters had 86 points. The bench had zero with five minutes and six seconds left in the game. That's, that's just wild. And I, I agree with you. I think it's really interesting that, that Kay played some of these guys, the kind of minutes that they played in game number two. I mean, this is a game we won by 30 points. It was our second game in two nights. And Marvin Bagley and Gary Trent both playing 36 minutes. Um, you have to wonder, I mean, are these guys going to take any kind of a break when Duke is playing a more competitive game? Winning by 30 and Bagley and Trent both play 36 minutes? Um, it, yeah. it was yeah, – go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, 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 I will give my opinion and maybe pose it back to you as a question, which is that I think that the rotation we saw against Utah Valley is going to be – more like what we're going to see the rest of the season. I think that um, Coach K kind of enjoyed emptying the bench against Elon and and letting you know O'Connell run the offense a little bit and Goldwire and and more minutes for Deloria. He he actually ended up playing a good chunk of the game. Um, I think that the Utah Valley game is more indicative of what we'll see going forward. And and um, before I ask you kind of if if you agree with me, I will say that um, you know if if that prediction of mine is right then um, there will be a game this season where Duke gets in foul trouble and the bench guys aren't entirely ready to step up to it. And we're going to, we're going to lose a game in probably in conference play. I, I don't know. Um, you know, Michigan state is, is a different beast, but otherwise the, the non-conference schedule is pretty crummy. Um, there'll be a game in conference play where, where Duke loses like that. And people will freak out about why isn't K developing the bench and such and such. Um, it's because the starters are so good and, and, and he's able to ride with them. Do you think maybe I'll, I'll send it back to you, Jason. Do you think that that's going to be the case or do you see, um, you see that the rotation against Elon being kind of more what we expect going forward? Well, look, I mean, obviously some of the guys a little bit further down the bench, aren't going to play the kind of minutes that they played against Elon and Utah Valley when we're playing competitive games. I, I, I will say that I think it's possible. It is possible that, that your scenario is accurate. Uh, I, I want to see more evidence. I want to see us playing, you know, better competition, BCS quality, com- you know, power five conference competition uh, and slightly closer games. And, and also I, I, I still think there's um, something going on at the beginning of the season where Kay is trying to get these guys ready for what they're going to face when we get to the ACC and when we get to, you know, more legitimate teams, which we will in just a couple of days um, when we play Michigan State. So uh, so I'm not sure that we've seen the rotation yet. Um, I, I sort of think uh, I sort of think we may get I think Utah Valley is closer to what it'll be, but I don't know that it's that that's exactly what it's going to be. And, and Marquise Bolden as you indicated, as you guys indicated earlier, has been sick with strep throat. Um, and, and we have no way of projecting what his minutes are going to be like. Um, you know, he, he played seven minutes against Utah Valley. My bet is he'll play a little more than that, um, uh, you know, against legitimate opponents in, in closer games. Uh, I, you know, I want to get, speaking of Bolden, I want to get to our big men really quick because I thought there were some things in the Utah Valley game 
that were really uh, important for Duke. Utah Valley, as we said in the uh, um, uh, in the preview, uh, had legit big men who were really good. Um, I, I mentioned this uh, Maniang guy who had a fabulous game for them, 17 points, six assists, 12 rebounds. This is a guy who transferred from Oklahoma one of the elite shot blockers in all of college basketball. He didn't block a single shot against uh, against Duke's big men. And one of the reasons he didn't, I think, is our bigs, the, the thing that stuck out to me in these first two games, and it really stuck out the Utah Valley game, Carter, Bagley, and Delorier get up and down the floor so fast, so effortlessly. Um, it must be terrifying to other teams to to watch the way Duke is pushing the ball up the floor. We grab the rebound and we're looking to run, 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 run. And and our big men are part of that running. And when you've got a guy the size of Wendell Carter or Marvin Bagley coming at you, um, when you're trying to you know slow down a fast break that's being run by Trevon Duvall, Gary Trent, or Grayson Allen, you're toast. There, you don't have a prayer. There's no chance. Um, and it's to me, it's just it's different than what we've seen from Duke in the past, and that's what's so exciting and interesting about this season. Um, and and the other thing I'll say about the big men is, it's clear that Coach K has identified that you know back we need to get the ball to Bagley and Carter. We need to get it to them on the blocks. We need to get it to them you know down in the low post. That these guys are both so fabulous at finishing in there. And you really see Duke like in the Utah Valley game, we were pounding the ball into the post a lot. And I, I was especially impressed with Trevon Duval. Makes really excellent entry passes, um, picking up a lot of assists that way. I saw him, you know, doing things where he spun the ball in just the right way, or making one-handed passes around his man. Um, you know, he's he's creative with his passing, and and it and it paid off. He had 12 assists, and and Duke got a lot of easy baskets. Uh, and it must be so disheartening um, to, for an opponent. The number of times Duke you know, gets a wide open three or gets a fast break dunk or, you know, an easy basket in the paint where Carter and Bagley especially are are making moves in the paint and, and their man loses them and they get an easy shot off of it or offensive rebounds, that kind of thing. Uh, Duke just got a lot, lot, lot of easy baskets. And that's a great way to win basketball games. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed with you. You mentioned the big man and how the offense is running through the big man. I think that, um, you know, when we look at like the Duke's recent history with, with young big men, Jolly Local Force stands out kind of as the as sort of the, the best one over the course of a season. And even he, I don't think, was as polished as as Bagley or Carter as a scorer coming in. And and that's that's not to that's not to put down Okafor because he was a great scorer. I mean he he was able to do things I don't think we had seen a Duke freshman do since maybe Elton Brand. Um but the way that Bagley and Carter are able to move not just in the low post, but kind of around um, basically anywhere inside the three-point line. I don't really want to get into that them shooting threes is kind of a weird thing, but but the way that they move inside the three-point line and, and get the ball and and, and make um, scoring moves, but also make good passing moves, I think that both of them um, are doing that kind of more efficiently and and in a more diverse way than, than Okafor did. Well, really... Uh, and, really- Really quick, so I think there's there's a distinct difference in Bagley and Carter's game and Okafor's game. To me, Okafor was more, I'm getting the ball in the post and I have great footwork uh, and and great finishing moves. Uh, so Okafor was about a, a po- polished 
finishing moves to me. I think Carter and Bagley are a little bit stronger, a little more physical. And um, they're all, I mean, they, look, they're finishing, Bagley especially, finishes incredibly well um, uh, with the ball. But, uh, but I think uh, Okafor's moves maybe were a little more polished, but whereas I think Carter and Bagley are using their size and their physicality to finish a little more uh, effortlessly. Yeah, and and, and they definitely and have Okafor's a lot of game too. Right, Okafor's game was a little bit older than than Bagley and Carter's games are. Um, yes, and and and, and it's it, it's almost weird that that looking back, and I, I don't want to make this too much about Okafor, but it's a little bit weird looking back that we didn't see Okafor struggling in the NBA as much as he has, given that his game really wasn't like the basketball of today. It was it was really like the basketball of when he was born. Um, and Bagley and Carter really play more of that kind of future style where they, they're more versatile. Um, they, they can play farther away from the hoop. They can get the ball farther away from the hoop and they can do more with it. Um, Donald, did you have anything to add about, about the Utah Valley game? Hey, hey, Donald, please talk about Wendell Carter's stat line. Oh my God. What a stat line. Yo, he was terrific. I mean, but here's the thing. He was four for eight. Yeah. Well, but the, so the crazy thing though was seven rebounds, four assists, three steals, four blocks. I mean, like talk about filling it up. Yeah, it was. It was. He was I mean, he was a stat sucker. And the thing about it, you, you talked about Trent and the Elon game kind of being, you know, hey, he had seventeen points. I did not see him play. Like, and it was. And we're not talking about this in a bad way. He was so everywhere that you know you just kind of like got used to the fact that Wendell Carter was all over the place. And you know, you look up, you're like, oh. He he had 12 points and seven boards. Like that's cool. He had four blocks. He had two, you know, four assists. He he did everything, and he literally was everywhere in the court. And even still, you still were like, wow, he had a real quiet 12 points and seven boards. And, and you know, when you see that, and I think this is what this team is about. At any point, any one of those five starters, even you know, Delorier, can step in and do work, and they also can also step back and do stuff on the sidelines that need to be done for the team to win and not necessarily be in it for the, 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 the spotlight on them. They're playing together. They're having fun. And sometimes when you're having fun, you're having fun in the corner while everyone else is, you know, dunking at the rim and, and, and finishing and, and shooting threes and getting animated. You're so, sometimes having fun is doing the little things to get this team to, on the path of success. And that's what he did on Saturday night. He did that very well. And I, I remember looking, you know, basically at the under 12 timeout in the second half. And I was like, wow, he's having quite a game for someone who I have not really like focused in on for this, you know, entire time I've been watching the game. So that's a good, that's a good thing. And I think those sort of games, you're going to see a lot from Wendell Carter and you're just as many of those games as you'll see the games where he balled out and he's going for 25 or 30 points or something like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think we've, I, I think we've said what we needed to say. I mean, we, you know, getting to focus on each of the, on each of the starters in turn, like going back to Duvall, since we talked about him um, earlier in the Elon game, he had, he had a double double in the, in the game against Utah Valley at 17 points and, and 12 assists. I mean, the, like, and, and he's like the least heralded of, of, of all the guys in this team, I think so far. Um, it just goes to show you just how how talented they are. I I actually um, in our we have a we've mentioned this before. I think we have a little like group chat between the three of us when we're planning these shows and stuff. And I referred to um, I referred to this this current Duke team 
as the Monstars because uh, it's like all five guys are athletic. They're all long. They can all um, they can all move around really well, and it's like they're so overwhelming uh, athletically. I don't know how another team is going to be able to match up with every single member of the team. Now it it changes, I think, pretty quickly once you get into the Duke bench. But as far as the starting five goes, and and like like we've talked about, I think the starting five is going to get a, a lot of the minutes this year. Um, man, it is hard to it is hard to keep up with them because they all can do so much on on both ends of the court. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by 2006 Duke grad Dave Olverson. Dave recently moved from New York City back to Durham and is really impressed with how Durham has grown and revitalized since his time there with multiple new high-rise buildings changing the skyline to a much safer downtown and many more job opportunities both in Durham and around Research Triangle. The quality of life in Durham has skyrocketed. If you have any questions about life in Durham, you can email Dave. He's at DurhamDaveDBR at gmail.com. That's DurhamDaveDBR at gmail.com. Thanks again to Dave Alberson for sponsoring this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. So Duke has a couple of games coming up this week that we want to preview, the most important of which is going on Tuesday night. Um, Duke is playing in the Champions Classic against Michigan State. I will be there. Um, hopefully some other Duke fans will be there as well. Um, if you run into me, say hi. Uh, you know, if you, I don't know if you know who I am or something. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but so, I don't know, you, you could. Yeah, um, what the heck, maybe, why not? Sure. I know that I know that a handful of folks who listen to the show have, have added me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. So if you're going to be there, or if you already know me, um, say hi at the game. Um, but let's—I uh, I, want to talk about it because um, certainly it's the it's the highest profile game this week for Duke. I've got one other one against Southern on Friday. Um, this is probably the the biggest non-conference game, not just for Duke this season, but maybe anywhere. And and the Champions Classic in general, I think, is going to be. Such a blast because Duke is playing Michigan State. They're currently ranked first and second in the AP poll. Kansas is playing Kentucky. They're ranked third and fourth. Um, they both they both had successful. Everybody had successful weekends. So I want to I want to talk a lot about Michigan State and the the matchups that it brings. Um, I'll I'll get to to Donald first. What uh, what do you know about about this Michigan State team? Um, and certainly, I would think you would want to start with Miles Bridges, right? Well, you have to start with Miles Bridges. He, let's re- he's the real deal. He's one of the best players in the country. He's the preseason national player of the year in pretty much every you know poll you have. He's one of the top candidates for all the end of season player of the year awards. And he, I mean, even though he's listed at six seven, he is their monster. He, he is their monster. He plays kind of like LeBron James. He has the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to look to create his shot. But what do we know about Michigan State as a whole? He plays like Michigan State plays. They're a physical team, and they pride themselves in getting after loose balls and rebounds. Uh, in their opener against North Florida, they had 49 rebounds, of which he had thir- he had 10 of them. Jaron Jackson, a, fr- uh, a freshman from Carmel, also very big, active in the post. He had 13 boards. They get to the line a lot, too, because when they're active and they're going after these loose balls, they're going to draw fouls, and they're going to get to the line where they are – very, very good at finishing from the free throw line. 
We're going to have to be very terrific on the perimeter, on the perimeter to slow down these guys. They have Josh Langford, Cassius Winston, and Lou Rawls there in the junior. These guys are the motors. They're going to organize the offense uh, where Miles Bridges is really shine. It's not really like a, a get-the-ball-to-will kind of offense if you guys are, are fans of the Fresh Prince. Uh, but Miles Bridges is, is their guy. He's going to get the ball out. He's going to get his opportunities. But Michigan State is a loaded team from top to bottom, and they play very, very hard every single time. They're, they're not going to quit. They're not going to give up. We have to maintain our assertiveness on the boards and in the paint, in my opinion. That is the morale killer for Sparty. They hang their hat on being the strongest in the paint and on the glass. And if, you know, we, we talk about Bagley, we talk about Carter, we talk about those arguments. If they can stop them there and then do their thing on offense, that's the quickest way to demoralize those bunch, in my, in my opinion. On the perimeter, I think we're a much better shooting team. Um, the guards can stretch out the Michigan State defense. Grayson Allen, Trent, uh, Gary Trent, take your shots. Hit some threes. If you guys do that, Sparty is going to have to get away from their game a little bit, which is not normally what they want to do. They want to control the tempo. They want to control the physicality and the intensity. And if we get them on the ropes a little bit, they're going to have to readjust, and they're not necessarily good at doing that in the past against us. Uh, finally, I think one thing, and I'll kick it over to Jason, this is the Final Four type atmosphere. We talk about this every year with the Champions Classic, but this year is no exception. Number one versus number two in our game, Kentucky and Kansas is going to be number four versus number five. This is the first major test for our freshmen and how it feels like to play on the big stage in front of everybody against a team that many expect to be in San Antonio in the Final Four with two other fan bases of teams that may are our favorite to get there as well. How will these guys respond? That's what I'm looking for. I think Miles Bridges is, is going to get his points, uh, and that's okay. You know, if he's going for 20 and not really killing us, that's one thing. But if he's getting everyone involved, if the other guys are feeding off of that momentum, then that's going to be an issue. But one thing that I think bodes well for us, when we play Michigan State, when we play on these big stages, over, you know, over the course of time, we have played very, very well. And against Michigan State, I feel like we've always attempted to play our best and most times gotten to do so. I think that's going to be no exception. I think it's going to be a terrific game. And I think it's going to be a close game. But in the end, I think this is the type of game that our team needs to show where we're at at this point, one, and two, to show this is the level that we have to play at every single night to win the national championship. You're going to do it against a good team. You've got to go out and play and go and grab it. I think these guys are ready for it, and I think this is going to be one of the barnstorming games that you will ever see in college basketball over, over the last couple of years. Jason, give me, a, give me a Duke player who you think has to have a good game or, or will have a, a really good game um, for Duke to beat Michigan State. I mean, the obvious choice is Grayson Allen. Uh, because our freshmen are going to look, Michigan state is also a young team, but most of their young players other than Jaron Jackson jr. Are sophomores. Um, they've got a great sophomore class full of uh, Nick Ward, Cassius Winston, and of course, miles bridges. They've got a really strong sophomore class. Um, but those guys are more experienced obviously as sophomores than our freshmen. So I think our senior Grayson Allen's going to have to step up. And, and I'll tell you another reason why he's probably going to have to step up. Um, I wonder about who is going to guard Miles Bridges because Miles Bridges is 6'6 and incredibly powerful. And I think he's too strong and physical 
for Gary Trent Jr. to guard him. Uh, I, I think when Javin Delorier is in the game, you're going to see Javin on him every second that's possible. But Javin Delorier is probably not going to be in the game more than about 15 minutes or so, if even that. So uh, I, I think it's mostly going to fall to Gary Trent, but you may see times where we try and have Grayson Allen pick him up. But um, uh, Allen would be undersized, but, but you know, Bridges tends to take the ball on the perimeter and try and go around you and slam in your face. Uh, that that's that's his game for the most part. He's he's not going to take a lot of outside shots, um, and, and in fact, outside shooting is Michigan State's biggest weak point, I think. Um, so, uh, and and by the way, there's no way we can have one of our bigs. We can't have. I mean, it may be tempting to say we could have Bagley guard Bridges um, because they are somewhat similar, not entirely similar, but. You know, they're they're not entirely dissimilar kind of players in terms of being really skilled, but also really big and powerful. Um, our our big men, and this this may be the key to the game. Um, Michigan State has in Nick Ward, uh, who is two hundred six eight, two hundred forty five pounds. The guy's a load, and Jaron Jackson Jr., who is six eleven with a seven five wingspan. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. can touch both baselines at the same time with his wingspan. He's a, a great shot blocker and, and just goes after the rebounds in a huge, huge way. Uh, our, uh, Carter and Bagley and, and Bolden are really going to have their hands full, making sure that Ward and Jackson and Bridges don't just massacre us on the boards. That's going to be one of the most important aspects of this game, I think. Um, I, I, but... I'll tell you the guy who for Michigan State I think is the key. It's Cassius Winston. Cassius Winston mostly plays point guard for them. And I mentioned that that Michigan State is not a great three-point shooting team. And Cassius Winston is probably their best three-point shooter. He's their highest volume three-point shooter. At least I suspect he will be this year. Um, Michigan State only took 12 three-pointers against North Florida. They were 3 of 12, 25%, which is not good. 3 of 12 against North Florida in their first game. Um, Duke, in our games, we're shooting 23, 25 three-pointers. Michigan State, even though they blew North Florida out, only took 12 three-pointers in that whole game. So this is a team that wants to pound the ball inside. They want to get the ball in the paint. So I bet you're going to see a lot of zone from Duke, um, which, which would be smart. We just have to be able to rebound out of a zone. It's sometimes harder to rebound out of zone than it is man-to-man. But I bet you're going to see Duke play a lot of zone and dare them to shoot over us. And that's where Cassius Winston becomes, if not the most important player in the game for Michigan State, an extremely important player for them. Uh, if, if Cassius Winston has a big game from the perimeter, Duke's in a lot, lot, lot of trouble. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I, I think you guys you guys covered most of it. Uh, I'm, I am excited to see how, how Duke matches up against a slightly more experienced but also um, really talented team like Michigan State. I think we we talked a fair amount last week about Elon in particular having a uh, a really distinct experience advantage on Duke, and that didn't really end up mattering um, because Duke was able, able to just overcome it with talent. That won't be the case against Michigan State. They've got, um, you know, Bridges and, and Jackson and, and all these other guys um, are – you know, are, are extremely talented bridges, I think deserved to earn that, you know, preseason national player of the year honor. He, he would have been a lottery pick last year. It seems like if he had left and uh, it, it's almost like a, a treat for college basketball that he gets to, that he, he decided to come back for that second season. And, and he is going to be a force for them. He was good against North Florida over the weekend in their first game. 
uh, and and I expect um, for him to have a strong game again. I agree with you, Jason, that that Allen having a having a good game is going to be important because um, you know Bridges might be able to lock up one of the one of the big guys on defense. I don't know uh, if if they're going to be able to contain Grayson Allen if he's if he's able to shoot and to drive as consistently as he was uh, this weekend. Well, really quick, I'll say the, the, the book on Michigan State is that the one place they can be had is perimeter defense. They're not a great perimeter defense team. I mentioned Cassius Winston. Uh, he, he's, he's, a, he's really good at distributing the ball, and he's a good perimeter shooter. He's not a good perimeter defender. So you're going to need Allen and Trent to really control the game out there. And one other real quick thing I wanted to mention about this team. This is going to be, you know, until we get to the late, late midst of the NCAA tournament, in Jaron Jackson Jr. and especially Miles Bridges, these are future lottery picks. Both these guys will be in next year's draft, uh, Bridges and Jackson, and they'll both go in the lottery. And I'm not sure Duke's going to face another. I need to you know, look carefully at the schedule and stuff like that. Uh, we're certainly not going to face another team, I don't think, that has two lottery picks on it. Um, you know, maybe if Duke, we put... Duke, what, Duke does play Texas later this season, and they have Mo Bamba. Um, that's only uh, one. Or, 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 that's- Right. Um, and I'm, Indiana I'm, certainly doesn't have guys like that. Nobody in the ACC, I don't think, has has multiple talented players the way that Michigan State does. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, when you're talking about guys like Carter and Bagley and, and Trent and Duvall, who, who all have aspirations to be lottery picks, Carter and Bagley look like they are lottery picks. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting for them to be matched up against two guys who are future NBAers, future, you know, potential NBA stars, future lottery picks. Uh, and, and it's an unusual thing for Michigan State. Um, usually Tom Izzo's teams are real, you know, lunch pail kind of teams. They, they, they bring their lunch basket, their lunch bucket, and they, um, they, they go after you in really hard physical kind of ways. And they aren't usually teams that Michigan State hasn't produced a ton of huge NBA stars, certainly hasn't produced a ton of high lottery picks. Um, there are a number of Michigan State guys who play in the NBA and who are very successful in the NBA, but you know, not guys who who went in the first ten picks in the draft. And right now, that's what Bridges and Jackson both look like. And so it's sort of unusual for for uh, Michigan State to have for Tom Izzo to have guys like this. All right, so we're looking forward to that game against Michigan State. Uh, right after that game on Friday night, uh, probably before we record again, Duke has a game uh, back at home against Southern University. Donald, I know you took a look at them um, uh, heading into that game. What did you want to tell us about about that team? Well, real briefly, let's start out with the fact that Southern is not good at all. Uh, they're ranked, they're ranked 332nd, uh, according to Ken Pom. Um, they are 328th in adjusted offensive efficiency, and they are 329th in adjusted defensive efficiency. Pretty simply, they they are terrible. Um, they, you know, I talked about uh, in the Michigan State preview about how Michigan State doesn't have really a get the ball to will offense with Miles Bridges. Well, Southern has a get the ball to will offense. But the will, in this case, is Jared Sam, a 6'10 senior forward, um, against uh, Illinois, who absolutely bow-beasted them uh, early uh, last weekend. He had 21 points. He took one-third of the total shots. He scored almost half of their points, had 11 rebounds, 
and was really active uh, around uh, the rim. Uh, but everything flows around him. He's the only guy in double figures for Southern. He's the only guy with more than three rebounds for Southern. Uh, so he is their guy. And if he does not play well, then Southern will not score. Um, they turn the ball over a lot, and you just have to limit his ability to score and make someone else step up and, and attempt to, to shoot baskets. So far, uh, even in the preseason, they really just haven't exhibited that. And if Duke can be active on the glass, box out Jarrett Sam and really take him out of the flow of the offense, they're going to get whatever rebound they want, and our offense is just going to be able to dominate with uh, uh, Bagley and Carter inside. Uh, this isn't the time for Duke to slack off, though. We have the PK-80 uh, Invitational coming up after that, um, where we're going to play another, you know, a couple of good opponents. Uh, so let's just play Duke basketball, and this thing will be over early uh, so we can have a good weekend. So the only thing I'm going to add about Southern, um, Donald, you're, you're absolutely correct that Jared Sam is the guy to to look out for for them. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and make a bold prediction and make a bold statement right now. You guys ready for it? Southern will be the worst team that we will play all year, according to Ken Pomeroy and according to all the other computer rankings. Um, and uh, they're, they're really not good. I mean, this is a team, you know, Donald mentioned that they got beat by, they, they lost by almost 50 points to Illinois. Now you may think to yourself, if you don't really pay a lot of attention to college basketball, well, Illinois is a deep, they're in the Big Ten, they're a decent team. Illinois is, is projected to be one of the bottom teams in the Big Ten this year, like, you know, probably 10th or 11th in the conference. And they, this, you know, 10th or 11th in the Big Ten just beat the team that Duke is playing by 50 points. Um, I, I, I won't be at all surprised if Coach K doesn't like to run up the score. If he wanted to win by 70, he could. Um, Southern's really, really bad. Although, you know, the funny thing is, they play in the SWAC, the Southwest Athletic Conference, and there are actually four teams in the South. I'm sorry, five teams in the Southwest Athletic Conference that are actually worse than Southern, according to Ken Pomeroy's rankings. So, as horrible as Southern is, they're actually kind of a middle of the pack of the of the SWAC. So, but this yeah. is this is one of those conferences that regularly sends their conference champion to play in one of the 16 seed playoff games. Or uh, play-in games, rather. And, and usually Correct. loses. Yeah, it, it, I, I, <laughs> I can't imagine that Duke, uh, even coming off an emotional game against Michigan State, should have much problem with them. And then the week following is going to be much more hectic. We'll get to that next week. Um, but Duke is playing uh, one more home game tune-up before heading out to Portland for the big Phil Knight event. Uh, so we'll, we'll preview that next week, probably sometime over this weekend. All right, so outside of, of just the, the games this week and last week, we had a couple other uh, notes that we wanted to touch on. The first being um, the the post-game celebration they had on Saturday night in Cameron for Coach K. Uh, it seems like he gets he, he passes another big milestone uh, every every year or two. Um, so the one that he, he reached this week was that he won his 1,000th game as the head coach at Duke. Um, they brought out uh, the, the university president and the athletic director. Uh, they had some former players in the house, and Coach K gave a speech. I know, Jason, you got to watch it uh, after the game live. I think that the, uh, that, that the whole speech is also on the Duke men's basketball uh, social media accounts, if anybody wants to check it out. But, um, Jason, can you summarize for us kind of what you heard, what you saw, uh, and, and what you thought about the Coach K 1,000 victories at Duke uh, celebration? 
you know, he was typical Coach K. The speech was very sweet. It was very genuine. Um, he, He always... He's never about himself. He's always praising other people and and the institutions. And he took time to to praise Army, you know, West Point, where he went to school. Um, he, uh, he he of course praised Duke. He he said he's um, he's the luckiest guy ever because he got to coach his alma mater, Army. He got to coach Team USA for eleven years, and he also got to coach. He said the best program anywhere for thirty eight years so far. And he's talking, of course, about Duke there and uh, the whole speech. You know, he he injected little moments of humor that were, you know, all, uh, so funny and so genuine. You, you can just you can sense that he really loves what he does and uh, and that all this stuff comes from the heart. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think that's really special. But the thing I wanted to focus on um, at the very, very end of the speech, he, he and I wrote I wrote it all down. Uh, he gave. Uh, I'm I'm betting we heard at the very end of the speech a portion of his locker room pep talk, but it was also a great way of thinking about this season for Duke basketball. And I want to read you guys what Coach K said. He was talking about what he said to the team before this game. He said, "I tried to remind them of a word, a word that we all need to embrace and immerse ourselves in, and that word is now." He then said, what was is great. And when he said what was, he gestured to the rafters and the banners that are hanging up there for the national titles he's won. What was was great. And what will be might be great. But it won't be great unless we consider ourselves fully invested to now. Embrace now with this group. Let's see what the hell happens. That's what Coach K said. And it was, I like got goosebumps. He was, it was. It was so inspiring. the The notion that was really of cool. yeah, the the notion of uh, living in the moment and understanding that now is more important than thinking about what comes ahead. And you can't get to what comes ahead. You can't get to that success, the what will be that might be great. You can't get to that unless you pay attention to right now. And I mean, we. We, we couldn't have a, a podcast about Duke basketball. We could have a podcast about Duke basketball history. We wouldn't be able to do an hour of it every week, I don't think. I agree. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a, it's a really great message. And, and, and it's amazing that, that he maintained that perspective even, even this far into his career and with as much success as he's had, that he still has all that drive for it. Um, because, you know, he's, I mean, he's, he's retirement age, right? Uh, he could decide to hang it up any time, but it seems like the, the the guy just keeps he just keeps going and going and going, and it, it is so impressive. Even even as um, as the landscape changes around him, he just changes with it and 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 keeps reinventing and 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 motivating more and more of these players. It, it, it's really astounding. Donald, did you get to did you get to watch it? Did you have any additional thoughts? Yeah, I did, and and I you know I have a couple thoughts. You you kind of alluded led a little bit into what I was going to talk about. Uh, a thousand wins at Duke. Like, let's put that in perspective. I mean, I started at Duke in the fall of 2000, and Coach K celebrated his 500th win at Duke on November 17th. It was my second ever game in college. That's when Coach K Court was founded, 500 year, 500 game, uh, 500 win at Duke. And he comp- that was his first cycle. He completed the second cycle of 500 wins in 16 years 359 days. 
if you average that out, it's about 29 and a half wins a year for 17 years. It's just astounding. And in that time, he's been to four Final Fours and won three national championships. We've been doing this podcast for about three years now. Uh, I think it was like late November 2014 when we really started. We're at 93 podcasts, and we'll probably be at about 95 when we hit our official three-year mark. So for us to reach 1,000 episodes at our current pace, we need to do this for the next 28 years and seven months, okay? The point here is this. Success combined with longevity is why Coach K is the greatest of all time. For some people, coaching 17 years is a lifetime. Most don't get to 500 wins in their career. And he has hit 1,000 at one school, something that nobody's ever done. He's simply the most incredible coach in the history of sports, in my opinion. And to be that good for that long is something we're never really going to see again, in my opinion. Uh, Man, that's 25. He's 25 wins away from time Pat summit for the most wins by any coach, men or women, in Division One history, and he's 27 wins away from 1,100 total wins, and both of those are attainable. So, I think he said it best when he closed out. Like Jason said, let's invest in now with this group and see what the hell happens. I think we should do that, and I think we're going to have way more milestones uh, that he's going to cross before he decides to. Uh, call it a day. So, congrats, Coach, on a thousand wins, and here, let's see what the hell happens this year. Five hundred wins gets you in the Hall of Fame. Five hundred wins if you're a coach, you're making the Hall of Fame, and he's done it twice. It's crazy. At, twice at one school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, turns out uh, Coach K, pretty good college basketball coach. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, uh, as Shane as said, a- Shane made a joke about that. He said. Hey, uh, you know, a thousand wins at Duke. I think, you know what? I think it's safe to say you might, you might be something in the future. You might be okay. Yeah, yeah, everybody everybody might know what he's doing. Look out for this guy. Hey, uh, more good news for Duke. Uh, they, we, we talked briefly last week about the uh, one of the best players in the upcoming high school. Uh, graduating class. Whoa, 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 not Barrett. one of the best. The, the best. best. Yes. The best player in the high school class, RJ Barrett. He's actually he's actually from Canada, um, but is uh, is coming to college in the US. And we talked about the likelihood and, and the potential that he was going to be picking Duke on Friday. And he did ultimately end up doing that. So RJ Barrett is coming to Duke to um, join Cam Reddish and Trey Jones so far in the class of 2018 that will be enrolling in a year. Um, Jason, did you want to, did you want to add to whatever you said last week about RJ Barrett and just how much, how much potential he has to be a real star at the college level? Folks, if you didn't listen to my scouting report on RJ Barrett last week, I'm not going to go through it again. Go back, listen to last week's podcast. Shame on you. We're not listening to last week's podcast already. Um, yeah, RJ Barrett is uh, a fabulous, uh, you know, a great scorer, um, number one player in the class, a really, really impressive player. But the thing I wanted to focus on, the thing I wanted to mention is um, we were just talking about Coach K. Uh, I'm not sure that there's, I'm not sure there's ever been anyone to be on a recruiting run like what Coach K is on at the moment. Um, and I'm including John Calipari, who had a, some amazing runs in the late 2000s as we came into the 2010s. Um, he, he, you know, it seemed like he was getting the top player a lot of the time. Duke has now gotten the number one player in the class three of the past four years. Uh, it's, it just a, doesn't happen. I mean, just, it, it's not done. And, and, 
And Kay is doing it. It's like not even a question. We previewed R.J. Barrett a week ago because everyone knew he was coming to Duke. It's it's just it's crazy. Same same with Marvin. Everyone knew Marvin Bagley was picking Duke. Yeah, I, everyone, I, I everyone heard from knew, a... everyone knew Jalil Okafor was picking Duke. It's yeah, it's 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 absurd. Go ahead, go Sam. I I heard from uh, a friend of mine who went to Oregon, and he he sent me a text on Friday, being like, "Hey, congratulations on on getting R.J. Barrett." And I was like, "Yep, figure that was he, like I, I guess he was also con- considering Oregon. Like Oregon was at on his list at the end. And I was like, yep, we, uh, we didn't really think he was going anywhere else. So that's, that's just kind of it. And, and at this point, honestly, like, like we're, we're spoiled, right? The, the Duke coaches, uh, coach K just seem like they pick dudes and, and if they want them, they, they get them. Um, and, and Duke is still in the running for Zion Williamson, who, um, who is, is the also number, still, but number two player in the yeah. class. We've already got, we've got number, number one. We've got number three. We've got number six. Number three is is Cam Reddish. Number six is Trey Jones. And by the way, if you want to think about how dominant Duke is in recruiting, so in the class of 2018, we have the number one, the number three, the number six players in the class. No one else in the top 10 has signed with anyone. Like if you look at the top 10. It's just top guys going to Duke. That's it. Three guys for Duke and no one else has picked their school yet. It's crazy. I mean, guys. Maybe these these, these players feel like they got to sign up, otherwise they're gonna they're gonna lose their spots. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, there, there's there's only there's on only the so many minutes to go around for for top ten players. Uh, and it's incredible. I I don't know what um what Williamson's timeline is. I'm not sure if he, he spring. He'll be a late. He'll be a late spring. spring. So yeah. he'll wait for other for guys to declare and stuff like that. But um, but by the way. I mean, Duke has a spot for him. Zion Williamson's going to be a power forward, maybe even a center at the college level because he's so so thick and so strong. Um, he'll probably be he'll probably be sort of a stretch for, um, you know, not entirely dissimilar to the way Marvin Bagley plays. That's the way Zion Williamson, I think, is going to probably play in um, in college. Maybe not quite as good as Bagley, but you know, close. Um, and uh, Duke, uh, Duke, the three guys Duke has signed are all going to play in the perimeter for the most part. So uh, there's room for Zion, no question about it. I mean, th- th- even if even if they there were more bigger guys, it's not like like Bagley wasn't scared off by the fact that Wendell Carter is there and Marquise Bolden had come back. Um, if you are talented, you will get to play. And Amen. I think that's that that's generally the lesson. Uh, Cam- Cameron Crazies, listen up. I need you to make sure that you guys know the words to O Canada for next year because this true north talent, we will see him rise. In Duke Blue, and it's going to be fun to watch. So make sure you get – you got a year, and I, and I have faith in you to get this done. I know where it's O'Canada. If you want me to come teach it, I'll do it. But next year, we're going to have some Canadians in the building. All right. I like it. I like it. Hey, one more thing before we get to parting shots and player of the week because it's been – Oh, so much this week, but um, kind of the the one bit of bad news for Duke fans, and we we won't dwell on it for long, is uh, that Duke lost their sixth football game of the season this week to uh, to Army. It was up in West Point. I was there, um, had a had a great time. Other than the fact that we lost the game, it was kind of disheartening. Um, the play calling seems to be uneven, and 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 doesn't. Uh, I, I I don't really know what more to say about this football team. I thought that they were gonna that they were gonna be able to recover and beat Army. Um, they've had a little bit of time off. 
and and it just seemed like they they fell flat. They didn't know how to defend an offense that only has really only has one dimension. Um, and then and then on offense, uh, couldn't really get anything going. Um, Daniel Jones looked lost, and and I'm not really sure kind of where the where the team's going from here. They've only got two games left. The odds that they are making a bowl has uh, has shrunk significantly. Um, Donald, did you have anything you wanted to add about Duke football? Um, you know, without without mentioning your Miami Hurricanes and the and the awesome run that they've been on recently. Well, I mean, they just can't score, and, and I don't know. You know, it, we've talked about it a lot. Our, our offense is just been stagnant. It's the reason why we were four and zero. We went from four and zero to now we're almost out of bowl contention officially. Uh, we're going to have to pull off two series upsets against Georgia Tech and Wake to even think about sniffing a bowl. So uh, if they want to play next month, I, I suggest they do some soul searching for whatever they were doing right back in September and bring it to November ASAP. But I do want to mention really quickly, you know, we, we played Army at West Point on Veterans Day. Uh, it actually was the first time ever um, that Army – Navy and the Air Force all played at home on Veterans Day, which I think is kind of a cool thing to to note that we were kind of a part uh, in some small way of that little history. Uh, and it, I think it's weird, like you kind of take solace in the fact that we, we lost the Army on Veterans Day. It's not really the you know the end of the world, so to speak, when you think about what that day signifies uh, for so many uh, servicemen and women. So. Uh, I, I will say congrats to Army, and you know I, I hope this. Uh, I hope we were able to contribute in some way to a, a great Veterans Day for them. But uh, thank each of them for their service, uh, and you know I, I hope you had a good time, Sam, up in West Point. It's something that I regret that I didn't get a chance to make, but I've always wanted to go check out a game uh, at West Point uh, and hope to do so in the future. Yeah, the the, the Veterans Day um, sort of celebrations, I guess, for lack of a better word, were, were really impressive. They had. Um, they had some Black Hawk helicopters that came over at the beginning of the game. They had the 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 paratrooper guys landing on the field, um, and and almost every timeout they were honoring uh, veterans or uh, or families of veterans going all the way back to World War II. It was it was really impressive. I mean the whole the whole thing. If you've never been to a to a football game at any of the service academies, um, it, it, it's really a unique experience because it, it is it is you know, big time football. They're all division one programs. They not as often maybe as some other programs, but they do send guys to play in the pros. Um, and, uh, but, but on top of all that and all the, all the sort of normal pageantry of, of college football that, that I think is really great. Um, you get kind of the added element of, of being, uh, at one of these really important schools and they're all, all, all three of the service Academy stadiums that I have now, I know I noted this on, on Facebook um, that I, I have now been to football games at all three of the service academies. And uh, it's really special. All, all three have really beautiful stadiums. They're not, they're not the biggest places, um, but they're, they're cool places to, to see games. They're uh, West point is, is really scenic. It's right there on the, on the Hudson river. The whole campus is kind of built into the hillside there. Um, so it's, it's just a neat place to walk around and, and, and there's so much going on and you get to see, um, uh, you get to see all the students that are all, you know, they're all all dressed up in the camouflage and they're they're all there at the game and having a good time. Uh, it's really neat if you haven't been before. I highly recommend it. Jason, did you have anything to add about the Army game? No. Okay. Uh, that, <laughs> I, I had a bet with myself that that was about what your summary was going to be. Um, the so coaching we'll, staff. Uh, 
the, the coaching staff uh, and, and by the coaching staff, I mean, the head coach, David Cutcliffe needs to take a long, hard look at what happened when the season's over in a couple of weeks, he needs to take a long, hard look at what happened this season and, and who was responsible for it. I'll leave it. At yeah. That. I, I think that, I think that we we've seen some suggestion since the game that, um, that there, we will expect, I think some, some turnover in the assistant coaching staff this off season. So, um, We'll uh, we'll cover that I think the best that we can here on the show without um, distracting too much from the basketball discussion, kind of because the basketball sort of heats up right around when when all the football coaches hop on the coaching carousel. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll certainly mention it here and see uh, what Coach Cut does going forward with the with the coaching staff because yeah, it, it does seem like like something is broken and and we know that they're capable of better because they did a couple years ago. They they were better a couple years ago with. Um, arguably less talented players, except maybe at a couple key positions. So um, the, the summary here is go see games at the service academies. They're really, really fun. Um, maybe don't necessarily go to a Duke game this year or, you know, because uh, that, that might be more disappointing. So we'll we'll wrap this week. You know, over the offseason, we do... Uh, or the whole year, including the off season, we we do the parting shots at the end of the show. Um, but now that the regular season has has returned for basketball, uh, we're going to get back to doing our standard player of the week um, picks. So uh, we'll we uh, you know each of us picks a player that we that we want to highlight for that week uh, based on the games that we saw. So I will start with Jason. Uh, Jason, who was your uh, first player of the week? for the 2017-2018 season. Um, remember at the beginning of the podcast, I played Don't Believe the Hype because I'm trying not to, but uh, I believe it. Marvin Bagley um, was my player of the week, 24.5 points per game, 10 rebounds per game. Um, he uh, he moves like a gazelle all over the floor. Uh, he's a big man, the likes of which I don't think we've seen at Duke very often, if perhaps ever. And... Um, uh, you know, the announcers said something great during the game. They they said, you know, this guy reclassified. This guy was still supposed to be in high school right now. Um, as they said that, I thought he to myself, be eating high schoolers alive this year. He's eating college players alive. So yes, but what I thought to myself when they said that was, this guy belongs in the NBA right now. If if Marvin Bagley was playing in the NBA right now at this moment, he would be in an NBA team's rotation. He would be getting minutes. He'd be performing. Um, He's that good. And, uh, and oh my God, have you thought about with all these freshmen, all these young guys in this team, how good this Duke team's going to be in four months? Donald, did you, uh, are you going to also stick with Marvin Bagley? I'm sticking with Mar- Marvin Bagley for all the reasons that Jason just said. And that's pretty much it. Okay. Um, I, I, Listen, I, I, I want to give it to Bagley, too, but also with a quick shout-out to Trayvon Duvall, who averaged a double-double for the weekend, um, which, which is pretty good, you know, in your, in your first two games as a freshman. Um, but I, I'm, I'm still going to also give Player of the Week to Bagley. He was, he was insane just all over the place. He, like, like Jason said, he does stuff that, that I don't know that we've ever seen uh, a, a Duke player, let alone a Duke freshman, make. <laughs> And then we will finish with our parting shots. 
So I'll, I'll kick it to Donald first. Donald, what's your parting shot for this week? Uh, really quickly, I want to give a shout-out to the U. Uh, the turnover chains are back. Uh, they beat Notre Dame last week. But my parting shot, actually, I want to really give some love to my Detroit Pistons. Uh, they are 10-3 and right now, which is something that no Detroit Pistons fan thought was ever going to happen. I, I didn't think we'd get our 10th win until maybe the All-Star break. Um, but we – I don't know what was going on, but they are playing out of their minds right now and are second in the Eastern Conference – we we just beat um, uh, who did we beat today? We beat somebody. Oh, we beat the Heat today. But we did it with one of our very own, Luke Kennard. He had a great game off the bench today. Uh, he hasn't really appeared in some of these games, but when he does appear, he makes the most of his minutes, and that's all you got to do to stay in a lineup in the NBA or in college. Uh, he obviously has learned. You know, he may not get his opportunities, but when he does, he needs to take advantage of them. And when he does that, we are winning ball games. And the Pistons are doing very well. I like to give them some love. Stones, keep doing what you're doing because I want to get back to the playoffs this year. And I'd love to come see you guys for a game in Detroit. I saw you guys here a couple weeks ago. But for now, shout out to the Pistons. They're doing good. Everybody take note. All right, Jason. I have, so I've got two parting shots. You guys know what one of them is, and we're going to talk about it in a second. But I want to start with this. Gentlemen, I have a question. Have either of you heard of Nikhail Alexander Walker? I have not. Not here. Uh, remember that name, Nikhail Alexander-Walker. He is a freshman guard for Virginia Tech. Gentlemen, have either of you noticed what Virginia Tech has done in their first two games? They are beating the boop out of teams and scoring like you would not believe. So in their first game, Virginia Tech played Detroit, and they won 111-79. to They won by 32 points, 111 points. Look, Duke dominated their two games. We couldn't get to 100 in either one of the games. Virginia Tech got to 111. So today, today they played Citadel. And the over-under on this game was 184 and a half. 184 was the over-under. I mean, like both teams had to get to 90 points. And I thought, there's no way. 184, that's a crazy over-under. They destroyed the over-under because Virginia Tech won the game today. Ready? You guys listen to this. The final score was 132 to 93. Virginia That's Tech an outrageous a, college basketball score. What? what, what yeah. Who's the defensive coach there, man? He's got to get fired, yo. Virginia Tech scored 132 points today. They're averaging 121.5 points per game. And that name I said at the beginning, Nikhail Alexander Walker. He's from Toronto, Canada. This is a kid who, you know, not a lot of people heard of him when he was, he's a freshman, when he was being recruited because he's from Canada. The NBA, though, the NBA knows all about this kid. He's one of the best outside shooters you're going to see in the ACC this year. He's led them in scoring in both games. He had 24 points against Detroit Mercy. He had 29 points today. Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He will be on the ACC all-freshman team along with Marvin Bagley and a few other guys. This kid is for real, and Virginia Tech is for real. Now, they haven't played good teams. I'm not going to pretend like Detroit and Citadel are any good, but they're putting up 121 points a game. That's a big, big number. I'm really yeah, looking forward to watching Virginia Tech play this year. That is pretty impressive. I had not seen that. Um, so I will, I will close. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, that's right. You had one more. You had one more. I have Excuse the other me. parting shot. Yes, you guys are ready for the. So, folks, I was in the market today, and I saw the most Halloween-y Halloween thing of all time. I saw for sale a box of pumpkin spice candy corn. This is one of the weirdest products I've ever seen in my life because I happen to love candy corn. 
I'm a big candy corn fan. You got candy you corn. Hold bring up. It Hold up. Get, Hold up. get wait, that. Wait, let me, let me finish. Hey, wait, let me finish, and then you guys can get in. So I love then, candy and then, corn. And then we'll come with the torches. Yes, but I hate pumpkin spice. Who makes pumpkin spice candy corn? Because if you don't like pumpkin spice or you don't like candy corn, you're not getting it. This is a product made only for the tiny Venn diagram of people who like both candy corn and pumpkin spice. That's why there were still some of it sitting around waiting to be sold you know, a week and a half after Halloween. Go ahead. Attack and, me now for like. And, 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 and you have to be a psychopath to like candy corn. So it's uh, just sugar, man. It's just depositing pure sugar. And I love that. Look, 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 look here. There is. And I will, I'm going to put this on record. I have told my friends this. We have this debate all the time around Halloween. There is only and I repeat, there is only one time that candy corn is even deemed the word acceptable. Meet like the bottom low bar of acceptability, and that is on Halloween. On Halloween, if you are eating candy corn on any day other than Halloween, you're just a, just a monster, man. I can't. I don't know. I don't know. It's Jason. What's up? Of of all the candies that are just sugar, um, candy. I mean, candy corn is the worst candy, but there are so many candies that are just sugar that are just better than candy corn. Like what? Eat some sweet tarts or Smarties or or. Pixie sticks or fun dip or whatever. I um, eat all of those. I love sweet tarts. Are like, by the way, sweet tarts and popcorn. You know, you guys know I go to the movies a lot. Sweet tarts and popcorn is like that's my jam. I love. Wait, my you sweet eat them? You eat sweet tarts and popcorn together? Together? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh yeah. Right. I need. I need to try this because these are because sweet tarts yeah. and popcorn are like two of my very favorite snacks. Oh yeah. There yeah. We go. See now. See. See. Focus on this, Jason. Don't focus on the candy corn. Yeah. Focus yeah don't. On, don't tell us that you're just for the record, I don't eat candy corn very often. I haven't had candy corn probably in a year or two, but I do like candy corn. And occasionally I will, I will take umbrage with what Donald said about when you can eat candy corn. I never eat it on Halloween. You know why? I wait till after Halloween is over and then I buy the discount candy corn. You can get like a huge bag of it for like seven cents. And All right. So you're, you're, you're officially <laughs> a monster. We're, we're cutting you off. You're a monster. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do my parting shot. You guys, th- this is, we're going back to basketball. Um, I doubt that you have seen this um, because it didn't make quite the blip that Virginia Tech apparently has made on the radar. Um, Former Duke center, erstwhile former Duke center, Sean Obi, after last season, if you guys remember, transferred to Maryland. Um, We thought the move was surprising because he didn't play at all last year for Duke. He basically didn't suit up. Uh, It almost seemed like like he was having a redshirt season. It wasn't sure that he was ever going to get healthy again. and. And, you know, maybe we could have seen like, oh, he could have transferred like to a division three school. He had come originally from Rice, uh, which is which is also a division one program, but is is, you know, nowhere in the same league as as Duke, um, except academically. And so we thought, oh, maybe, you know, he could he could transfer to another like powerhouse academic school and and potentially play at D3. Nope. He uh, did neither of those things. He transferred to Maryland. We won't harp too much on the Maryland academic uh, athletic you know, to overall situation, but, um, but he, he ended up at Maryland and we thought, well, that's weird. Cause he never, he never played at Duke. Um, and lo and behold in Sean Obi's first game as a Maryland Terrapin, um, he, he, uh, surpassed his total point total. His, 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 his overall points total from his one season that he played at Duke. Um, cause he made a couple baskets and he's made a couple more today in his game. Um, so uh, that's that's weird. Uh, don't think we expected that. 
maybe things could have turned out differently for him at Duke somehow. I, I don't know how that could have been. Um, but I guess we're we're wishing him luck uh, in in the Big Ten, which I guess is another uh, another decent college basketball conference. Uh, had either of you seen that 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 John Obi was playing for Maryland? I'm I'm no, shocked to find that out. I'm yeah, I, I'm absolutely. really shocked, but but good for him. That's great. I'm I'm yeah. pleased. I, I wonder yeah, if he'll totally. get into competitive game. I mean, their first two games they've they've won by double digits. You know, fairly right. Comfortable. So I, I, I'm not sure if he'll play in competitive games, but hey, good for him. Exactly. All right. Um, so I think that's going to do it for uh, for this week. Thanks again to Dave Olberson for uh, sponsoring this week's this week's show. Um, don't forget if you love the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. Um, if you are subscribed over there, leave us a review. Um, they're nice if they're if they're nice reviews. They're they're better for us. That'll help people find the show. Uh, and if you don't like the show, um, feel free to email us at dbrpodcast at gmail dot com. We uh, also uh, would take submissions there at that same email address dbrpodcast.com if you are interested in sponsoring the show as we've had a couple different folks do uh, here since we since we opened that up a couple months ago um, you can also leave us comments uh, on the forum at forums.dukebasketballreport.com uh, we always post a, a new forum thread in there um, specifically about the new episode of the podcast so we'll, we'll take feedback in there feel free to email us um, and, and again, if you want to sponsor a show, that same email address, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll, we'll get you set up in there if you're, if you're interested. So um, for Donald Wine and for Jason Evans, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 93 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. Mm-hmm.